Good morning, everybody. This is WXOU Auburn Hills, broadcasting to you valiantly from the basement of the Oakland Center here on the campus of Oakland University. We are 88.3 FM. It's time now to reopen the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. And uh, we got our political conversation out of the way prior to uh, going out on the air, so that's good. So we're really not allowed to do that on this How station. long um, has that wall been like that? <laughs> I just noticed that there's like paint, white paint on the I, wall. I noticed. I would say um, 18 months. Okay. Right. Give or take. I guess I just haven't it's, been observant. So back when, before the, when they were doing remodeling here and they had the entire OC literally torn open, um, one of the big rains flooded the entire basement. Right. And that's when that came from. Okay. So that was two summers ago. We should get some paint on. <laughs> I'm, more well, I'm more riveted by the attention that that drew away from the uh, uh, radio show here. He was completely <laughs> transfixed by that, that wall. Yeah, I see things and I... Uh, I mean, there, there was some very deep discussion, you know, in here before the show. <laughs> then all of a sudden it was like a, like, like a totally transfixed uh, child uh, looking at the wall. <laughs> I get that a lot. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> so we got stuff to talk about today. Um, wow. Well, how, how do we rally from that? Uh, in any case, we're going to talk OU basketball. Uh, men's team has won three in a row. Uh, we got the whole MSU football fun thing. Um, I like... Adam, in your uh, email prior to this, you said uh, Rob Manfred's best friend is Gary Bettman, as Bettman might be forced to give up the worst commissioner crown. I do want to talk about that. I should have reversed it. I should have said Gary Bettman's new best friend is yeah, Rob exactly, Manfred. Exactly. I don't know. I was in the middle 400 thing. And I'm like, it's all good. It, it's it's still the same. It, it's I get yeah, what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, you got it. You got it. You got it. Okay. Go. Obviously, spring training has started. Tigers uh, have their first spring training official spring training game today. And we can talk the Red Wings. We're right near the trade deadline, although nothing has happened yet. Pist- Pistons continue to sell off uh, pieces or throw them out the door. So, yes, with uh, great haste. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so lots of stuff to talk about on this Saturday morning. And we do anticipate having a recording of this one, too. So oh, very exciting. Yes. Very exciting. It is. It's like we're like a radio station. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> we don't have enough money to paint the walls, but... Well, no. No. But recording things. We could do that in the next show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So uh, the Golden Grizzlies, um, another nice win again last night. Um, So three in a row, which I guess, you know, I mean, if you're going to if you're going to do this sort of thing, it's a good time. They're 11 and 17 overall, six and nine in the conference. And, um, you know, they've won what? Four out of their last six. I mean, this is definitely much better than the earlier part of the season. Three games left to go before the conference tournament. I watched the whole game last night, and the one thing I couldn't get past was is they were very competitive, and I'm looking, you know, and along the bottom, they got their score, and then they got the overall record, and then and then I, you know, looked up on my phone, and okay, this is one game, three more games after this. Brandon, in, in your mind, did you ever think, even going into the last show, that there was even a chance that this team could mathematically be 500 in the conference at no the end? no not really and <laughs> and you know they played Wright State very very competitively in that game that they lost which I had a chance to watch uh, you know the, at the towards the end of the game OU made some mistakes and it stretched out to I think like a 12 point win but they were battling they were within two three points on at Wright State um, and you know it's just clear they now have a one-two punch uh, so if you look across the last three games, Hill, Mays, and, and Williams are averaging 42 a game. And so for a team that's struggling to get to the 65, 70 range, if you're starting with 42 off the top, then uh, it's going to make things a whole lot easier. So, you know, I, 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 no, I can't believe it, Adam. I think, you know, my question is, is, you know, how high of a seed can they get in the tournament and then what can they do? Um, I think they've proven that, you know, the right state game – you know, it was almost to me more encouraging than their three wins because they went to the, you know the best team, arguably the best team in the conference, home floor, and played them tough for about forty-eight minutes or you know forty-six minutes or so. And 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 we 
the the theme in this show when we have talked about this team this year is that their their backcourt was decimated based on the transfers and then you know then we got word that Rashad Williams was going to be available um I I think we all thought okay good but I don't think we knew or could fathom the impact that he would have on this team allowing Hill Mays and Brackwing to go ahead and begin to have even more ability to do their thing and in addition the other thing that we've talked about guys is the fact that this team when you looked at their size on the front line compared to the other teams in the conference it was very competitive even something that they've kind of struggled with a little bit in the past and boy now that you've got a little more of a backcourt uh, and and you you know Trey Maddox is actually really starting to get going too because yeah. of Rashad Williams because he can play off the ball yeah. yes exactly and 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 so he, that's actually part of what I wanted to talk about is is two things one of the things we've talked about all year is the fact that Campy has been rotating ten to twelve guys into the lineup on most days he still is yeah but it, he's pretty much condensed it to about six guys and other guys will come in for a few minutes. But, like, Lampman has played under 10 minutes the last few games. Um, so you had three guys in double digits and then a couple of guys in single digits. And that's very different than what we were seeing earlier in the season. And he's riding a bigger lineup on the floor in Hilmes, Oladapo, and Brechting. And that does give OU an advantage because these are bigger guys for this conference. And then you've got Maddox and Williams in the backcourt. And so I think... Campy has reached the point where he's like, okay, these are the guys I'm going to run with. Kangu's the only one really coming off the bench and getting big minutes the last few games. And I think this is where he's like, okay, this is my team. This is what I'm running with. And how does that change the team for the end of the year? Well, I mean, I think it's just, uh, are they going to have enough juice to get, get through the tournament? You know, how much will they have left? You know, they're going to kind of mm-hmm. push hard across these last three games to increase their seed um but you know it's really going to be what kind of what do they got left come tournament time i think you know it's not surprising that he's going to slim down the rotation i'm not convinced it's going to stay that way uh i think in order to be competitive in any conference uh above the real low level ones in ncaa you need to have at least seven guys in a rotation Uh you know i don't see how you can be competitive with six you know i think now there's an interesting change this year with the conference the conference tournament where it used to be all the rounds were at the same location obviously the last few years he's been little caesar's arena this year first game uh will be a home game for for teams and then the semifinals and finals will be played then in indianapolis and I, I'm wondering, because of the the way the roster and, and the starting lineup and how many players are, are actually in there, I'm wondering if that would actually play to the advantage. And, and, and of course, the first part has to be, the, the first scenario to talk about is probably the spread out of the games and not necessarily three in a row. Secondly is the fact that you uh, get into the, you know, the Grizzlies would have to play well enough over the next three games to at least get a home game to then be able to take advantage. Yeah, of that. and and we're not entirely sure how the seating breaks down in the tournament, but my guess is they really need to get to eight wins in conference play in order to get a home game. You yep. have a chance. Yep. No, great. I, I would think and that, and that would be a, they would be paired with someone tight with them in schedule. You know, that would be the yes. You know, a, you know a, for example, like a seven-eight kind of thing, and you know they would get the seven yeah the big takeaway on my side though is the narrative has drastically changed especially from two shows ago but even two one one show ago with them being able to go out win the games that they have and now with three games left in the conference schedule you know before we were like well we're looking at next year we're looking at next year we're looking at next year and now all of a sudden because of how they've played i really believe that now there's there's a little bit more of a uh, wait a second before we start looking at next season let's finish out this season and see how this all wraps up yeah so. i mean you know you got the two seniors that you want to see how they uh, finish up going down the stretch i'm I'm still thinking about next season a bit. I, you know, I think that they would, it would be pretty miraculous uh, for them to 
to even get to a championship game here. So, uh, and, and and I think too though is that now then my concern going into the next season uh, after I just told everyone not to look through next season anymore is with with losing Hill Mays and Bretting, you know, and with them both being seniors, that they, uh, you know, w- their size really dramatically changes going yeah, forward. Yeah, it does, but I think I, I'm, I'm not worried as much about it because I actually think that the makeup of an ideal camping team tends small. It tends to be a lot of sh- perimeter shooting, and so to me, you, you bring Williams back as a junior. you got another year to develop Lampman. You've got Trey Maddox. Um, you know, I actually think the prognosis is brighter for the team next year uh, than it was for this year, even with, you know, probably, you know, an, a, certainly an all-conference player in Hill Mays and a resurgent Brad Brechting. I, you know, I still think the future next year is very bright. Uh, I, Brad Brecht, or uh, excuse me, Trey Maddox and uh, Rashad Williams are a, will be a very tough combo for yeah. teams to play against next year. For sure. And, and it changed, and lastly, though, it changed the narrative of Greg Campy because I think Greg Campy for a lot of people, uh, um, you know, there, there's a little bit of a concern. I, I, I think it's going and looking at how this team was playing and, and, yeah. and, and whatever. And I think, you know, you look at a little bit of Oakland Twitter, if you will, it seemed like, oh boy, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to make that change. And yeah. I, I think for Coach Campy, it's a really good thing to, to be able to get this out there. And, and especially if you got, you know, Rashad Williams, boy, it just it, then, then there, it, it, it I don't think there was any imminent danger, but boy, it just it, 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 it just feel decreases good. the chatter. Yeah, you know, and I think the thing that was tough about that wasn't. I mean, they they caught two really tough breaks in the transfer portal, as we have talked about, you know, at length. Um, to me, the more frustrating thing was not that, and not that the team was struggling this year, but it was just the underperforming in the conference tournament over the last four years. Yep, he had he assembled some amazing teams, truly amazing teams that could have knocked off a four seed or a five seed in the NCAA tournament had they just taken care of business in the Horizon League. And that that's, that was the stuff that frustrated me. But, you know, yeah. I agree. I'm happy that this is happening because he, Greg Campy is a legend. He's a legend here, and he's a legend in NCAA coaching. You want, you want the ending of his career to be reflective of all of the value that he has brought to this university. Sure. And so I, I am happy about that. And, you know, much like a Tom Izzo or some of these other folks, like, you're not going to fire Greg Campy Mm-mm. ever. Like, Greg Campy is going to go on Greg Campy's terms. It's just nice, to your point, Adam, that hopefully there's a little resurgence here over the next three to five years. Yep. For sure. And they do get back to the tournament. So with that said, next game is tomorrow. That's against Green Bay at 3 p.m., after that, uh, they'll be playing their last two games uh, over the week next week, the 27th and 29th, uh, both on the road, and then we'll see what happens We shall see. Yeah, all three games are winnable, for sure. With that said, uh, sticking around in the world of college sports, uh, MSU has been a hot mess of late, particularly their football program. And, um, well, I guess thoughts on uh, the new coaching uh well, I guess I, I would have a question for you, Adam, is do we care? I mean, is this really a big deal? Is the whole saga with Mel Tucker, like, do, should we actually care about this? Or is this just the way college college coaching searches, particularly in football, is this just the way of the business now? Well, I, I think first off, the, when you think about we just got done talking about Greg Campy, and, and certainly uh, Greg Campy is a, uh, a legend uh, from the standpoint of just some stacks and just the length of time he's been here and, and, and from many, it, how integral he has been part of the Oakland University terrain, right? When we move on and we look at a, a Mark D'Antonio, Mark D'Antonio uh, is a legend in his own right based in his record. Certainly in and, his own and, mind, yeah. Yes, and, but 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 I think for a lot of fans, <laughs> a, a Rose of Bowl win, yeah, absolutely. The, no, no, a, I mean, a playoff he took Michigan State to, right? in modern times, the, right. hi, the, hi, the highest heights right. that they have been to a playoff game. They're, they're unlikely to do that. In my mind, again, and, and 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 there are eloquent pieces of literature then that would match up the this story of Mark uh, and being so high, but then this very ugly departure on many levels. Yeah. and I think I care because I think it's a unique story, um, a, a unique story that here it is. Michigan State, you always you know referred to his little brother, referred to as you know this and that. 
and what do they do that go and 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 you know not you know basically uh, getting away with Martin Antonio doing a great job, not necessarily being paid on par with a lot of the uh, college coaches out there, and then. Uh, you know, and having a very subpar assistant coaching level, then all of a sudden, put it kindly, yeah. oh, oh, we're going to go out and get Luke Fickle. Well, Luke says, oh, I, I don't know if I want the job. And then, you know, the board, and, and I mean, that's just a complete, and, yeah. and that board, I mean, we just were talking about politics before the show, and, and let's be transparent, Michigan State's board is terrible. And this is not a news, you know, a new news item. They've been terrible for. Ever with Joe Ferguson, who I he's like 110 years old at this yeah. point, isn't he? Yeah. And I mean, it's just another byproduct of politics, uh, having people that don't need to be there continuing to be there. And then, but then they all of a sudden they find all this money, all this money to Open go out and get vault. Mel yep. Tucker and all these assistant coaches, where they literally their budget for football has gone from and also ran a Oh my God! We're just gonna pay enough to keep the the, the lights, uh, uh, you know, on. To wow, we want to be almost like SEC like in, in in going out and giving all these big money contracts to assistant coaches. Well, I think they realized that you know they were at a you know an inflection point uh, with their football program, and were they gonna slide back down to Indiana, Minnesota level, you know, or or were they gonna try to maintain it? I'm still not convinced that they're gonna be able to to stay up there with the big boys. Um, but you know you got to go back to what where this all started, is the way that this in, or a university and this administration handled Larry Nasser destroyed the school. Exactly. It just right. it, it, it exploded a bomb. It took out. They had a great whose name escapes me. A great athletic director. Aside from you know that you know the scandal with Larry Nasser, of which I don't know how much he was a part of, but like it exploded this university. Yeah. And and des- and deservingly so. I mean they let something important happen for a really long time. Yes. And th- that is really the cause here. You know, D'Antonio, we can pick at the stuff with the NCAA stuff. I mean, these folks all, all these big time oh. coaches are, they talk about just like rampant, like rule. I mean, Michigan yeah. is, Harbaugh bends the rules. Of course he does. It's like Gumby. I mean, like, Jesus. He's, he's always bending something. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. And that, that, that's, that's for sure. And, and we know, and this, this has been my frustration going as long as I've followed sports. My frustration with college is the hypocrisy of the NCAA and how people work around the rules and this whole, you know, holier-than-thou sort of attitude from the NCAA itself and so on and so forth. But I do think what's interesting and important about Michigan State is if, if, if you have a certain atmosphere, climate, um, culture in one area it's likely to seep into another area and we know factually that there were numerous people certainly within the athletic department but elsewhere in the organization who knew about Larry Nasser. and if you're willing to look the other way on that yep it's a cancer it is a cancer yeah and and it absolutely is going to reach into other parts of the program and you're gonna look the other way when you break the rules on recruits when you sweep other sexual assault allegations under the rug, it's all part of a cultural thing. And I'm not saying that means every person or anything else like that, but certainly high enough up on the chain, people were willing to look the other way yeah. in order to get success. You know, and, I, and I think the this is really, you know, go back to my earlier point, this is a last-ditch effort um, from a school whose football program is fading and frankly, whose basketball program, I don't know it's how pretty. long it has left. You know, and certainly as long as Izzo is there, it will be a top 25 team perennially. But, you know, Juwan Howard, for what he may not be able to do on the basketball court, off of it, he is certainly eating MSU's breakfast when it comes to recruiting. You know, and he's pulling in four or five stars are now going to Ann Arbor and checking that place out before they go up to East Lansing, and that's a total inverse. And so I think this is Michigan State going, well, you know, the basketball program is fading. Michigan's on the rise. Other Big Ten schools are on the rise in both football and basketball. Um, We need to empty the vaults here to try to stay relevant. 
but but you 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 asked if it was a story that, that they brought the, Mel, the Mel Tucker, Tucker the Mel Tucker thing Mel Tucker absolutely I, I, I guess think, I guess and, and I get Mel Tucker himself no the actions that, that's what that I was they're asking. taking himself you know I mean to me the Mel Tucker story is really more of a Pac-10 wow how bad have you gotten now indeed right right that that, that. but. I'm intrigued because not only did they do that, they went out and they hired, and, and they're doing something that the NFL barely does and, and college football barely does. They went out and hired a, a what appears to be a pretty up-and-coming black head they coach, did, yes. which I think, you know, for all the folks that Michigan State has, let's give them some credit that they went and they and they made a strong stance and, and gave a lot of money to a black a head coaching candidate, and I think that speaks volumes in terms of what they think about Mel Tucker. Yeah, and I think they may be justified in that. I think I, what I was asking, and I think we've gotten to it, is they kept focusing on Mel Tucker saying he was going to stay, and then go like, right? To yes. me, they're putting the emphasis in the wrong place. What right. we what we're talking about is the real story in my mind, which is what yeah. is the health of this university's athletic department, right. and what lengths are they willing to go to try to stay relevant. I and no and and, and I keep, think keep I keep focusing on Mel Tucker like he betrayed Colorado. Or oh something. well, no, and I, I mean that that that's his story. And I mean in terms of the athletic program, I'm at as dire on the Michigan State program as maybe most because in general, if that money's there and you have more than enough alumni money to make stuff For happen, sure. right? You you it's all about making a choice. You either want to be competitive or you don't want to be competitive, and and to be and really, in all honesty, I respect what Michigan uh, what Michigan State has done more on many levels than I do Michigan because Michigan has tried to keep you know kept the good boys club you know the Michigan good boys club going, and Michigan State says you know what forget it we're just going to go out hire the best people that we can hire and then go from there. And don't get me wrong, I, I realize he spent a little bit of time at, at, you know, I think he spent a little bit of with time Saban. With, with Saban and, and whatever. But, no, he was not, but, it, he was, this was not, uh, yeah. this was not in the D'Antonio coaching tree, if Correct. you will. This was not a former player. You know, and I think, yeah, and there's, there's certainly, you know, I'm certainly not lauding Michigan's approach. I mean, they just throw money, they burn money, basically. Yeah. Um, but I think at the end of the day, as, as you know, as solidly mediocre as their football program is, it's still a step up from Michigan State at this point. And I think on the flip side, the Mich- their basketball program is at on par or ahead. And so I think, right. you know, that I think Michigan State is is this is kind of where I'm saying they're they're getting a little desperate. And, and not that I, I think Mel Tucker's a good hire, but right. And, and going back though, I think Tom, I mean the biggest thing in my mind with Michigan State and their basketball program is Tom Ucho. Like I think Tom Ucho at this point, legend. Deserves all the credit he deserves. So he'll be a Hall of Famer, no doubt. Uh, I, I think some people have debated that. I don't know why. No, but yeah, but but in sure. general, but I think he, th- that's a job though. Beautiful arena, beautiful you know, beautiful facilities, be- and and really a, a rich history in college basketball that you are going to find people that'll go in there and they will change things up, and that university will be fine yeah. from a basketball standpoint. You just gotta hope that before too long that Tom just goes okay yeah I'm, I'm out of touch or I have to go through a drink it's it's so. time for uh yeah time for me to, to spend some time with the family indeed yes. yes so somebody who is going to have the opportunity to spend some more time with family is John Beeline former coach of course of U of M and now uh now the Cavaliers <laughs> what on earth went on there I don't know and I feel really bad you know I I, I was very disappointed by some of the things I read about how he engaged with some of those players, you know, that you just never picked up that sense from him while he was at Michigan. Um, the players, it, like there was almost, I, I almost can't even recall in his 10, 12 years at Michigan, anything remotely like what we were seeing from the Cavaliers organization and what folks were saying. And and I think to Beeline's credit, one, he said it didn't work, and two, he really didn't deny any of the things that they were saying about him either. And so I think, you know, Talk about out of touch. I mean, just a guy that was just a fish out of water. I, and I wonder how much with Beeline, though, it was the makeup of the roster itself. Like, where at times he probably got to the point of just being very frustrated, especially when you win. And, you know, here he is. He goes out. He handpicks his players, right, from, from the Michigan program. And, and, and he's picking people in his mindset and then he goes ahead and arrives in an, in, in an arena in, in an organization where he hasn't picked, hand picked anyone 
And, of course, part of it's just his naivete of what he was getting into. For sure. And, and by the way, I mean, we're talking about, a with the exception of having to luck into maybe the greatest basketball player of all time, one of the worst, absolute worst professional sports organizations, I mean. Yes. Lions-esque. I mean, truly, with the exception of falling backwards into LeBron, no redeemable value in the Cleveland Cavaliers. Their ownership, as much as we love Dan here in the city, not great. No. Um, they fired an outstanding GM in David Griffin, who is about to turn the Pelicans into a championship contender in a couple of years. And that roster was is an absolute dumpster fire. Yeah. You know, right. and didn't get any better when they added Andre Drummond. They basically just threw another bottle of kerosene on that thing by adding Andre Drummond. So, you know, just a rough situation, I think. Uh, I, I do think you make a good point, Adam. Just not being able to assemble beeline kind of basketball players and at the same time not being able to build and foster relationships where you really did have a bunch of guys coming in are basically like i'm here to make millions of dollars and i know we're going to be terrible and so i'm not really interested in your like aw shucks coaching i'm just here to make money until i can get traded somewhere else or you know and then and and the complaints were all oh, we're practicing too hard and, and stuff like that and and, and, and practice? yeah practice yeah, practice. yeah we're, we're not practicing the game. too hard not the game <laughs> <laughs> no but it, it's like you know you're listening and and I guess and and, and that's where I go and I'm like I, it, from Beeline standpoint it, it just seems like from top down I mean Dan Gilbert which by the way I think the one big takeaway of this event really was. And I never was there to begin with, but I'm even less, even more just incredulous toward the idea of Dan Gilbert owning any team in this local town. I mean, there's quote-unquote excitement about him buying a, a Tigers or whatever, which I, I, I hope that never, ever, ever, ever happens. And I'm hoping that the the local uh, fandom, if you will, understand how bad that would be. Yeah, and I mean, you know, certainly this has all been going on as he's recovering from a stroke, and so you can't yeah. imagine that he's been, you know, actively engaged with the Cavaliers. Uh, sure. And, and that yeah, is a no, good call. I, he's that's not. A good he's a good. Call. He's a good businessman, uh, but not a good mm -hmm. sports owner. And those no. two things are very different. They are different things. You know, he's not. You know, Dan Schneider, but you know, he's <laughs> he's getting there. Well, I mean, that's pretty rough, right there. That, that's. Well, I could have said March Scott, but <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, that—that's a whole other. She has her own level, uh, dedicated to how bad she was as an owner I and a business person. I am I and a human being. Right. I, I immediately when you bring up genuinely that name, grotesque. When, right. when you immediately bring up that name, I think about her Saint Bernard. Mm. I don't. Okay. I think about her. And I think about her. Oh no, no! I, I think I, about I, her. I think about her falling down a large flight of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel joy, indeed. Um, anyway, I just. I also think you know. I mean, Beeline was on the job for what nine months, something like that. Yeah. Really surprising to me, in a lot of ways, that it was because when you take over a team, you've got to know that first year is just going to suck. I mean, you know what you're getting with mm -hmm. the Cavaliers. And that he's decided that, yeah, this just isn't for me. And, I mean, good for him, for, for himself, to decide, hey, I, this is not And there's a I'm couple of pretty attractive uh, uh, coaching jobs in college basketball that you could see him sliding back into, Texas being the one that comes to mind. And so you could see him coming back to uh, the college game, should he choose, and building up another powerhouse is what he does. Yeah, I mean, he's 67 at this point, and... Um, don't know if that's where his energy is or not. Uh, he is going to spend the rest of the season with the Cavaliers organization in another capacity. Who knows what that means? They want to get something from him. Right. Well, they negotiated some kind of settlement mm -hmm. um, where he's going to get a prorated salary for doing whatever it is he's going to do. Two, two thoughts. One, I thought was, was pretty funny how many people immediately when he resigned, fired, whatever you want to call it, from a Michigan basketball standpoint that there was like this vocalness of, of we'll just come on back and coach the team because they were you know kind of done with the Juwan Howard experiment all of a sudden I and mean there, no there, 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 there were some people that wanted that right so um, I, I, again not very logical you know, the, 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 the thing that I guess really was funny to me though is that 
I think when I look at the Pistons, and I would have looked at specifically Dwayne Casey, I would have thought that there wasn't much of a dramatic difference between the coaching style of a Dwayne Casey versus a John Beeline in terms of discipline, in terms of, of, of you know wanting execution. And it really does bring to light that, that, in my mind, obviously I was very wrong because Dwayne Casey has had a long, very successful career in college uh, in uh, professional basketball in, in de- being a disciplined individual and obviously there, there's a big delta in the in, in the discipline basketball coaching and I I, yeah, I admit I, I think being it, wrong. It's an, it's an interesting it's a it's a I think it's a good comparison because I think it delineates a couple things. One, Beeline had never coached in the NBA before. And uh, as you mentioned, Casey has a long history managing professional basketball. And then the other thing you cannot ignore is that Dwayne Casey is a black man. And there clearly were racial tensions and undertones. Yes. Un- substantiated, unsubstantiated in the relationship between John Beeline and, and a number of young, young, young black men on that team. And clearly there was, there was a gap there. And I think, you know, Casey both knowing how to manage, um, you know, professional basketball players as well as being a man of color. I mean, I think you have to look at those things as some differentiations and how he's able to apply a certain kind of discipline. Well, Casey's you know? much younger, too, than mm-hmm. Beeline. And, and that's a factor. It is. Absolutely a factor. How old is Dwayne Casey? I think he's in his, isn't he in his mid-50s? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I thought he was, um, but, yeah. Okay. They're both outstanding basketball coaches. John Beeline is an yeah. outstanding basketball Correct. coach. Oh, yeah, no, no, I don't think anyone um, is, is. And I think his style of coaching um, could be incredibly successful in the NBA what, if he one, has the right one, team. One last thing. If you're looking at what happened with John Beeline and you look at his former rival of Tom Izzo and how many times he was courted by the NBA, mm-hmm. including none other than Thomas Gores oh, yes. of the Pistons. You can't. I, you can only imagine what a, a potentially a debacle failure that would have been on so many levels. Yeah. More than likely, yeah. Though, though I do think actually Beeline walked into a particularly bad situation for him right? because mm-hmm. for as much as I do not like Tom Gors, the Pistons organization is a lot healthier uh, than the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that, yeah, I, uh, listen. That's rough, but, but I, I, I do believe, I, I agree. It's more of an indictment, again, of, of anything else about the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah, yeah. And I do, again, I do agree. And, and so the fact check department uh, wants to smack me around. Casey's 62, so he's only five years younger oh, okay. than okay. Be like. I, I really honestly thought he was in his 50s. So sort did of I. But okay. anyway. Cool. Yeah. So I guess the next most topical issue is the continuing rolling dumpster fire of the Astros uh cheating scandal. <laughs> I, I, I'm just so sick of this. I, 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 I you know. I, I hate them all. I I hope oh, that sure. they all get hit with. I, I just you know it's just such a. I'm sorry to blow this up on you, but I'm just I'm so <laughs> sick of all the articles and all the conversation and all the tweets and all the players coming out. All of you, please just shut up. Like I mean, it's just such a. Like I I don't I don't feel like the Astros are punished enough. I would like to see some justice done on the field, but what I'm not interested in is the endless articles about this right now because it's just killing this game you know and i'm i'm also not particularly interested in players that want to come out and and have things to say about it just handle it on the field and and, and i'm a little surprised the stance that i had on the last show and i continue to have and i really in fact i'm 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 more invigorated with the belief is that i i think the, the, the strategy or the thought pattern that the Astros are the only team that have done this, maybe maybe no team has done it to the level that the Astros I, have. And the Astros and are more competent. True. We all know right, that. Right. We know they are more technologically savvy and what yes. have you. But, uh, but, but it really but rubs on, me the wrong way. And this is my initial thought when Manfred did nothing with the players and just, just tried to get it out there and be done with it, and then immediately coming up with this cockamaniac, uh, a playoff scheme um, afterwards within a week just to just try to move. I, I mean, guys, honestly, I find the public excruciatingly ignorant in their understanding of what is happening here because in my belief, I think that baseball knows, I think Manfred knows, and I think all of baseball across all front offices know that they that there are a good number of teams that are guilty of something of this in some level 
not to the level of the Astros. And I think basically all this is is that punishing the worst of the worst. And at some point, the Roosters going to come home to roost. And baseball and everyone is going to have to deal with some of the truth and realities when more and more comes out and just go, you know what? It is what it is. We need to figure out how we're going to monitor this or do something and then get going. But I'll tell you what, I think this will continue to get worse before it gets better. I don't know. I honestly don't know. And and, and first off, I, I, I certainly am not going to argue with other teams weren't being Gumby, as we talked about earlier. And, and I, I 100% agree there was other nonsense going on. But I do think Houston took it to another level. And, you know, this, this is how how cheating scandals and things like this happen, is people are, are constantly walking up to the line. They know where the line is at. Maybe it's a little fuzzy, but they know basically where the line is at. And they put their t- toe over the line. Okay. Other folks go way past it. So let's, let's, let's equate this to the steroid scandal. Okay. Gary Sheffield probably never took steroids, but he did, you know, he used the cream and he did some of those things, hung out with some of those people. Barry Bonds, on the other hand, Luis Gonzalez, me. I mean, it was clear. These Sammy Sosa. Did, I mean, they, we, they modeled Wii characters after Barry Bonds' head. Yeah, I mean, seriously, there were. I mean, it, just, just, just objective. D- yes, yes, I got that. <laughs> um, there were objective. Look at the wall. <laughs> the, wa- the wall's white down the <laughs> So, so anyway, it, it, um, and and I think it's the same thing with this. Is the Astros took it. To two new levels. I mean, yeah. the banging of the trash can and the fact that you had the front office with its own plan relaying decisions. I mean, Houston just went and, and they said, you know, we can cheat by moving this piece while somebody's not looking or we can just rearrange the entire board. And they went that route and they got caught. And, and they should have been absolutely decimated by this but the one thing that Manfred said because I kind of want to focus on him a little bit and not not the scandal itself because we could go on ad nauseum to your point Brandon about opinions and, and so on and so forth but Manfred said look I was getting nowhere with the investigation so I went to Tony Clark head of the uh, MLBPA uh, you know their their association and said what can I do to get cooperation? He's like, I'm willing to, to offer some limited immunity to certain players. And Clark came back and said, nope, it's got to be blanket immunity to every player. And Manfred said, well, fine. I'll do it because I at least want to expose the scandal. Well, shame on the MLBPA for taking that stance. We've seen some players, including Mike Trout, who doesn't say anything about anything, come out and say, I'm, I'm angry about this. And it is absolute and complete garbage that players were not held accountable. For sure. Absolute garbage. Yeah. And and the fact that the Astros, even the owner, is like, he said, our opinion is that it didn't impact the game. That's literally what the owner of the Astros said. And no, I don't think I should be held accountable. Now, he also said, I'm never going to let this happen again. But oh, thanks. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my, my takeaway for this, and I'm curious how you guys feel about it, it makes me not want to not want to care. It makes me not yeah. want to watch. It makes me not want to read all the articles I would normally read at this time as I would get excited for spring training. I feel almost somewhat relieved that the Tigers are so bad that they're not even they the same. Clearly, we're not. They're not <laughs> in the same hemisphere, stratosphere, whatever, as a competitive baseball team, so I don't have to worry about this impacting, you know, any of the, the results. And we beat the Astros a couple of times anyways, but... You know, like, I'm just kind of, like, I've withdrawn back to just following, you know, the Tigers again. And it's very similar to the strike for a lot of people. Very similar to steroids for a lot of people. As I appreciate and love the game so much that I won't walk away from it. But I really want to. Yeah. Like, I really just don't even want to care. Yeah. I, I and mean, just move on, you know. The, the strike for me was the big one. I stopped watching baseball for several years after the strike. Um, and then, of course, came back to it because I love the game. Right. And, and this doesn't quite rise to that level. Um, I think the difference is that the media churn now, yeah, oh, even sure. from the steroid scandal, for sure, is so much different. For sure. Media churn right now is one of the things that's causing us quite a lot of grief across the spectrum. Yeah. I mean, that, that much is for certain because you can't get away 
from the bombarding. I can't of... like I can't escape this. It's every day on ESPN. I'm re- I, and I'm not clicking the articles anymore because I don't care. Right. So I I don't really. I mean, I, honestly, I, I know I'm on a sports show one hour every other couple weeks, but I'm not a a great person of of just consuming sports media all the time i i i'll click on the radio for a couple minutes and i mean i'll just turn it to something else because and and in general just the topic and and the general over complete lack of constructive elements within the discussion on sports radio as a whole keeps me from really listening to a good portion of it uh um and, and in terms of this particular piece uh my general feelings toward this situation uh, really, um, really do bleed into my general feeling that one, I, I, I think if the Tigers are a winning team here locally, you know, or, or when that does happen, people will go back to, you know, attending games at, at a mad rate and they'll be watching them on TV. And, and I don't think that that's going to impact locally, including myself. I, I don't, I, I, I think this is a story within baseball. Yes, I do believe it's a lot more rampant than just the Astros and, and, and that's fine. But in general, it's terribly impacting. No, I mean, I'm, 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 you know, curious what Miggy Cabrera is able to do now that he's, you know, lost a whole tire off his body, you know, um, you know, I'm curious about, you know, with the young pitching staff, emerging pitching of the Tigers that are happening, uh, what could possibly happen? Yes, I can understand why for a good number of fans, it would be a, a large deterrent, but I accept the fact that probably this is just something that finally got brought up versus just ignoring it. Yep. So. For sure. The the one thing though that I wanted to bring up about Manfred, which I thought was interesting, was you know they, Brandon, you you know you emphasized this is that this should be taken care of on the field. Well, what that uh, obviously implies is that people are going to get beamed and and so on and so forth, and they'll but even more importantly beat them. Well, for sure, for sure, and I and I think. Teams will go in saying we want to beat these guys, and and I do think there will be a lot more hard slides. There'll Run be a up lot the score, more hard slides. I'm not just talking about throwing at people. I'm yeah. talking about running up scores. I'm talking about hard slides. I'm yeah. talking about you know just really working, putting in the working effort. Them. Where we're in maybe in the middle of July when you're just exhausted from playing for four months. You know, maybe put rats in the visitors' locker room when they come to. I don't know. Or yeah. well, you know, a, a Scotty Bowman trip hat, hat trick. Uh, have their locker room painted right before they arrive. I mean, that's old school Scotty Bowman mm-hmm. right there. Uh, you know, saw off a piece of their bench or whatever. Crush this sit. team. By the way, a team that I love to watch. Yeah, players I love. A team that I rooted for, not just because of Verlander, because I love Altuve, Altuve and, and Bregman and Correa. These guys were so much fun. And by the way, they're going to be very, very good next year. But beat these guys. Yeah. I, no, no. Shut I'm, them up. I'm with you. And I'm rooting for the Yankees. Gross. Ew. Crush them. Never, never, yeah. ever, ever, never good. I know, but that's where, that's where I'm at. You know, like a part of me, I, I want them to come out and... Okay, well, we're not cheating, so now we're just going to go out and kill all uh, everyone. And, and they we're just might. Gonna do They're it. that good. Yeah, yeah no, and that, that's part and of me. That, I almost want them to do it. Them. Yeah. For sure. I want that. The, there's a large part of me that wants to see them just go, go okay, fine, we're not going to do it. Now we're going to play real baseball, and we're not going to be lazy about it and, and use all the – forget it. We're just going to really hone in and impound you all of you. Yeah, and show you it really doesn't matter. And they can if they want to. Yeah. I mean, they are very talented <laughs> with or without trash cans or buzzers or anything else <laughs> like that. That's that's very clear. And <coughs> Sorry. The um, thing I wanted to get to, though, is the retaliation piece. Manfred met with all of the managers and said, I hope I made it extremely clear that retaliation in-game by throwing at a batter will not be tolerated. And... He softened on that in a subsequent interview where he said, when somebody asked him, well, are you gonna, how are you going to punish these people? And he's like, well, we really have to look at it at a case-by-case situation. And, you know, baseball's an emotional game and, you know, might or might not be related. So he kind of backpedaled a little bit. It'll be very interesting to see how they react to this because... So there's, there's a couple ways of approaching this. So opening day, it's Houston. 
do the umpires immediately warn both teams? They might, because if I'm the pitcher against Houston, I'm throwing the ball First 15 pitch. feet to the right of the batter. Yeah. It, and over their head. Same here. Same here. It's behind them. Yeah, I'm not exactly. going to hit them. I'm going to throw it behind him and near their head. Yeah, you know, uh, definitely when you throw behind somebody, that sends a message. And you're not trying to hit them, and you make it clear your your position. And, I, like, it reminds me of years and years and years ago. Ken Griffey yep. Jr., when he was a kid, you know, just starting out in the majors, hits a home run and then grabs his crotch looking at Sparky Anderson, a guy who used to babysit him when he was a little kid, when, you know, Sparky managed his dad. And the next time out, John Doherty was the starting pitcher. He threw four straight pitches behind Griffey. And at that point, Griffey kind of apologized. He had gone over, he went over to the dugout later on. It was not that at that moment or what have you. And the umpire didn't even warn anybody. The umpire just went out to the mound and said to Doherty, I know your control isn't that bad. <laughs> message delivered. Nothing else came of that situation. Griffey got the message, realized he was in the wrong. Nobody got hit, what have you. But a very clear message was delivered. And and and, and Tony La Russa was famous for that sort of thing, too, is knock somebody down. If you're not happy, knock them down. Get their feet moving out of the batter's box. I, I do hope, though, in general, that Major League Baseball, the, 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 the team for whoever, that we, we're able to get past this very quickly. Because I will say that, that I, I understand the retribution. I understand the reason behind the retribution. But in general, it's not good for the game, period. And it needs to be remedied because the, the survival of baseball, I, I realize I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but, but just because of the nature of this and because of how, as you mentioned, the media, the clicks, and, 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 and just the overall tweaks and, and strategy, the reddits and whatever, it, it, you really are walking a very tight tight line and it, it, it you have to get past this and hopefully the rest of baseball understands that they have to get past it as well it'd be very interesting to see and will no doubt be a topic of conversation uh, over the course of the summer so sticking with baseball uh the tigers like i said at the top of the show they're starting spring training to, or they're starting their first spring training game today they had their exhibition uh yesterday which they narrowly won which <laughs> That's always a little concerning, although they really didn't play many of their regulars at all. Um, Yeshiva University gave them a run for their money? Yes. Whoever they played? <laughs> the Central Florida yeah, or right, Southern yeah. Florida? I don't know. It's Central Florida. Is it Central Florida? Yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, I know they're the fire. That much I know. Uh, anyway, uh, Tigers with a big 5-4 win, bottom of the ninth. Uh, yeah. With play... Honestly, with players in the lineup that I've never even heard of, and I know their farm system pretty well, so take that. But anyway, but t- professional t- baseball players. They are professional baseball players. Non-professional College baseball students. players yes. from Central Florida. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. So the Tigers have a lot of pitchers in camp. A lot of pitchers. Right now... Uh, according to depth charts and fan graphs and a lot of those, uh, you know, baseball uh, publications, the Tigers currently have 10 starting pitchers for Toledo. <laughs> um, very interesting to me that the Tigers went out and just started stocking up on starting pitching. Well, I mean, not so interesting when you consider what happened last year. Uh, and I guess maybe I mean, that's the it, whole it, point. It, I mean, it... it the the farm system structure almost tore itself apart. You talked about this frequently, mm-hmm. the, and the management of it was also poor. Yes, based on injuries to starting pitching, and they were ill-equipped, and and the 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 player development, and the, I don't know how much of, how much Avila's involved in this stuff day to day, but like they really put at risk the development of some of these arms yeah. with really poor management. And so I think this is a, perhaps an overcorrection, but that's a, war- I mean. a warranted one. And perhaps so. And, and maybe that, that's what makes a lot of sense. And it's, it's interesting to me that Avila has taken this approach with pitching because even, and, and, and while 100% true, the Tigers got way overextended and put people out on the mound that had no business being on the mound. Um, it... it you know, the, the main criticism of the Tigers has been position players over the last X number of years because they do have a lot of really good young arms. And yet, 
interestingly, Avila went out, and I'm not sure he's wrong in this, and got a number of seasoned 4A pitchers or guys who are trying to bounce back or what have you. Alex Wilson is back in the organization. Um, I just I, I think it's very interesting. It'll be interesting to see what, what kind of product the Tigers put on the field this year, and I think they're going to try to win some games. I think they're actually yeah. going to make an effort to put perhaps fewer prospects on the field and more... And, and I think that's a natural, you know, a natural reaction to being historically bad. Yeah. You know, I mean, we knew last, last year was going to be poor. We knew this year was going to be... But they were historically bad, as we have discussed last year. I think, you know... Uh, the question I have, and we, I don't know that we can answer it today, is, you know, one, if you continue to stock up on arms, do we trust Alavila can flip some of those arms for position players down the road? And in my opinion, he's shown no record of really being able to manage personnel at a trading level. You know, I I I have some uh, I have some optimism for some of the signings he's made, and I you know I'll go on record and say I think he's done a good job with some of his signings. We'll see how they work out. But yeah, I've been impressed by almost none of the trades he's made, with the exception of uh, Castro, mm-hmm. the Castro deal and Leonis Martin. You know mm-hmm. that, those deals. That was a good, the, the Willie really Castro good deal. deal. Yeah. And I think what we're gonna see though is. Well, we're going to find out if any of his other deals were good very, very soon. Because one of the things I will say, like when they traded Shane Green, you've got a guy like Joey Wentz who's really who pitched really, really well uh, last year and might end up turning into something. Um, so we'll learn a little bit more. On the same by the same token, you've got a really big position battle this spring at third base between two other guys that Avila went out and got in uh, Dewal Lugo and Jamer Candelario. And again, this is very much, you know, I mean, both of these guys have clearly shown they can play at AAA. They are plus 300 hitters with power, solid defensive. They, 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 have, they have conquered AAA, but they have absolutely not conquered Major League Baseball. Ken Larry had a nice year two years ago. He did. He, he was a legit Major League Baseball player. Yeah. And, and what I've read is that his... He's got a wrist issue that can't be fixed, and that's what's impacting his swing. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not more about that comes out or, or how he reacts to another season. You know, is he able to adjust, what have you. But this is very much, um, you know, very much a, a, a way of grading Avila's first trades with this organization because both of those trades were were, were big deals. Now, the flip side is you also have Isaac Paredes, but we'll get to him in a minute. Yeah, I mean, I think, Justin, you know, the, the question is, is the difference between a four-year rebuild and a 10-year rebuild, his ability to maximize value mm-hmm. and Candelario, I mean, it does Lugo work out or not work out? To me, he misses the point, which is, you know, he traded quality assets to acquire Candelario, and his ability to flip quality assets for quality in return is what's yeah. going to determine the length of this rebuild. Because yeah. eventually, I mean, if you're just bad long enough, you know, even the Royals managed to figure this out. You know, and then they immediately went back to being terrible. But, like... Right. Well, yeah, I mean, if, again, you know, it's as we talked about with, like, uh, first-round draft picks, is, is, is traditionally a very small percentage of first-round draft picks make the major leagues, uh, comparatively speaking to other sports um, and yet make the majors way more often than any other round. Um, I mean, if you get enough picks, if you get 10 of them, 12 of them, 15 of them, you're likely you're gonna to be able to feel a, a baseball couple, team. You're going to have a couple of yeah. star players. The, qu- the question is, is, you know, can he survive if, if he's not able to be judicious with his other player personnel moves, he's not going to survive long enough to see any of these guys come to fruit. You yeah. know, some of these guys that are eventually going to hit, you know, one of these big arms down in the minors is Mize or Manning, or one of them is going to be an ace in the in Major League Baseball. I mean, For clearly. Sure. And a couple of other them are going to flame out, but, you know, will he get to see them or not will depend on if he can actually be judicious with the player personnel moves. And that's going to be one of the other things to really watch in the spring is, you know, are these young arms? And um, because what, what we've seen is we had that first wave of young arms uh, Bo Burrows, Kyle Funkhauser, and what have you, really struggle at AAA last year. Um, even Tyler Alexander. So th- these are some of the very first guys, or even late Dombrowski folks, or very first Avila folks. Now we've got that second wave, which was great in AA last year. I mean, absolutely 
killer in double A last year with Mize and Scoobles kind of come out of nowhere and then Wentz that they traded for and Manning uh, and Fiedo who had a nice bounce back year. They they had the best. They destroyed a league that typically destroys pitchers. Um, and so it's, I think, really important to see how they do in Toledo this year. Baseball America called Toledo, the Toledo Mudhens, one of the 10 most interesting teams in baseball this year to watch because of the amount of talent that's going to be there. Um, because quite frankly, Jake Rogers is going to start the year there. Willie Castro is going to start the year there. Some other good, I mean, we've got Cameron. uh, Right. Daz Cameron is going to start the year there. Victor Reyes might start the year there. Although I, I think that's stupid. He needs to be on the roster. I would say the same about Castro. Uh, yeah, except they want him to play every day. And I think they're going to let Nico... Well, they're going to have Goodrum and, well, and, 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 and uh, Scope. And, and Mercer will be the backup yeah. because uh, they will be carrying an extra position player this year, too. Um, so I think th- they want Castro in the minors just so he's playing every day. Um, so... I, I, I just, I'm really interested to see what happens with the starting pitching. So that, that's my big... I, but to the theme that I've heard throughout this conversation has been health. We talked about Candelario, the name that uh, we uh, I jokingly brought up, but, but in general, I think it, it, it was a very large impact on how this team does, and if they can get 120 game kind of Miguel Cabrera, if they can get Michael Fulmer back, uh, you know, healthy, if they can get a, a pitching staff that, I mean, I can't even really remember a pitching staff being so brought down by the number of injuries as this team was last year. I well, mean, they, of, they of lost no three starters yes. like, right off the bat. Yeah, I know, within the first three weeks of the season, and then it ended up losing another two to three more. And right. I... And and I think when when I'm when we're evaluating Avila, don't get me wrong, I I think he absolutely deserves a, a fair amount of criticism. But at, to your point that you started the conversation with Justin, you said this team is actually going to try to win games. Yes, you're, they they have no choice but to go out and so. and win a few games because. In general, if you're telling us that next year's the big year, well, that's in an immediate gratification society that we live in, that there's this no good for this season, for ownership or the fan base. And that's where I, I, I hope for El Avila, he, he, his roster, his organization is blessed with at minimum 50 to 60% better health, which is still not great. But if he's able to get that, boy, this team is way more palatable than they were last season. No, and that, and that is absolutely for sure because they, they had injuries all over the place. And, I mean, just having your regular guys on the field is going to help your team. Jordy Mercer missed three months of the season last year. And when he came back, he played well at the end he of did. the season. He even did. even smaller you know impact guys like uh, Grayson Griner, um, he's a six foot six catcher. He has back problems. I mean, this is not shocking. He was terrible the first couple months, got healthy, and had a really nice September. Now, is he going to have a huge impact? No, but he would have kept Jake Rogers from coming up way too soon. So all of these things factor into the decision and it, it, or into the, the overall record of the team. And the other thing is, let's look at the Tigers starting pitching. That'll be the last thing, what, what their projected uh, rotation is to start the season. You've got Jordan Zimmerman, who I don't know that will be with the Tigers for very long, or I, I think that within a short period of time, he will have an injury and go on the 60-day DL and hang out with the team to help m- mentor some of the younger pitchers. But then you've got uh, Ivan Nova. You've got Daniel Norris, who did a really nice job last year. You've got Matthew Boyd. You've got Spencer Turnbull. I mean, th- those guys should be able to win a few ball games and Fulmer coming back midseason. You know, I, I I mean. Well, and I think the question will be, especially if the uh, juice in the baseball is not as prevalent <laughs> as it was last season, that it, it, and the major beneficiary of that will be uh, above any pitcher in Major League Baseball will be Matt yeah, Boyd. Boyd yeah. And if Matt Boyd is able to do that, then the question is, what are you able to do with Matt Boyd potentially at the trade deadline? With the drawback being, and to your point, I think Alvila 
uh, it has not necessarily done a whole lot of great things, especially at the trade deadline. I think a large part of that has to do with the change in the landscape of baseball. We talked about it last time with the, even in the NBA starting to catch on it. Draft picks are not being given up. Top 15, top 10 organizational prospects are not traded. And Henke, they're challenging yeah. to get much and, done. And, and I, I don't deny any of that. It, it just it depends on expectations and standards. Is do you, do you want and expect the Tigers to be a championship-caliber team? Because teams still find ways to do this in these difficult markets, and a team wins the championship every year. And so. Well, some of them bang on trash cans. Indeed, indeed. But I mean, you know, folks figure it out. No, and, and that's a, a completely and utterly fair point. I mean, you got to oh, find I, a way. Right, yes, yes. I, I totally agree, but at the same time, I, specifically with trade deadlines. It's uh, not as know, easier you, as it you, used to you, be. You, you can't do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It used anymore. to be ridiculous, and, you know, folks like the Red Sox and the Cubs. And the Astros fed off that, and a lot of their success is coming from from that kind of the golden years, if you will. Yeah, no question. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. We'll be back on in two Saturdays with plenty to talk about. Uh, this is still a pretty busy tournament uh, time part of the year. Obviously, we're going to have tournament stuff going on. Uh, and um, hockey deadline, sh- trade deadline should be right about that time too. So hopefully we'll uh, we'll get to some more wings type stuff as well. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. See you in a couple weeks. <laughs>